Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. I'm Ben Fields. It's my podcast. We back. Thanks for being patient, guys. I'm glad you guys are here. We had to take a month off to uh, do a little housekeeping in the shop and a little bit of facelift for the podcast, too. So your feed might look a little different for SOS these days, but... Like I said, I appreciate you guys being patient. It was important for us to take a little break and get things squared up. When we started the podcast, when I started the podcast by myself a few years ago, uh, I didn't really think a lot of stuff through. I said, this thing has to get out there and we have to just start doing it, whether whether we feel like this is going to be the final incarnation of the podcast format of the album art of music whatever it might be uh just kind of wanted to get it out there and get it started so it it was time so it was time to just kind of hit the reset button so i appreciate you guys being patient with us while we were getting our ducks in a row you got to thank matt honkinen for our music for sure i've got to thank producer sam thomas also for everything that they do for the pod and to you guys that listen, and for the Patreon crowd, the Patreon crowd that has been very patient with us as well, and uh, continued to support the podcast, even though we haven't been providing the value that uh, that they were used to. So, thanks to all of you guys for for still being here and for being around. Okay, my guest for today, Steve Wildsmith is here. Steve Wildsmith is a dude that I've wanted to have on since I started the podcast almost three years ago. And he's one of those guys that you can't tell the story of Knoxville, of East Tennessee, of the Southeast music scene without mentioning his name because he's done such a good job of documenting it over the years. Steve is a music writer. He writes for Blank Newspaper. He has written for the Daily Times for years. But Steve is one of the most important music journalists in this area, in the Southeast, and we're lucky to have him here. Steve's been through a lot. We talked about that. He's been through a lot recently, but he's also on a recovery journey that we got into, and I had no idea how heavy it was, man, but it was fantastic to finally meet Steve and finally talk to him. We'd heard about each other for a long time, so it was great to finally sit down and see if all those stories that we'd heard were true. And one more thing I want to talk about before get into my conversation with Steve is Second Bell Music Festival. It's happening this weekend, September 30th and October 1st. It's at Sutry's Landing. It's a big deal, man. Lots of great stuff on the lineup. Big Boy and Super Drag are headlining that festival. You've got Palm Palm, who are some buddies of ours who've been to the shop before. They came by when they were passing through town and spent the night once. We'll see if we can't get them on the pod because we are going to be at Second Bell Festival as well. South of Scruffy will be there in the Airstream trailer doing some interviews. We'll see if we can't get Big Boy and Super Drag on the pod while we're there. I'm not making any promises. I'm just going to set up shop and talk to whoever will come talk to us. I'm just going to set up shop and do what we do. And if Big Boy shows up, okay, cool. We'll do it. All right, let's get into my conversation with my new friend, Steve Wildsmith. We're doing the podcast. Good, I'm going to take my glasses off so they're not like, propped up. So you're kind of fuzzy, but I can see you. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm really glad you're here because, you know, Wayne Bledsoe just said some awful things about you on this podcast. Well, you know. You know uh... He's a little, uh, he he's a little little miffed because he's got those restraining orders against him. You know, yeah, <laughs> uh, can't come within you know fifty yards of children or animals <laughs> of a school. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Young Williams, big like banned for life. You know, <laughs> can't go to the animal shelter anymore. No, 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 no. Well, he always shows up with a fifty-five gallon drum of mayonnaise, and they're like, "What are you? What 
dude, what are you doing? So, no. he did. He did. Uh, he did uh, spit a little bit of the rap battle that uh, that you guys. Oh my had. god, that was so foul. What, so amazing. What was that? It was. Was it the pilot light? Was it? It's the pilot light back in 2012. It was a fundraiser. That are we live or yeah, yeah, oh, awesome? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a fundraiser at the Pilot Light, a little iffy. Will Wright and the Magic Hustle crew put it on, and what I remember is he went to Jason Boardman, who is a lovely man. I love Jason. You know, uh, he's he's the brains behind the Pilot Light, and said we, we want to do this. We want to have a rap battle between Wayne and Steve. And I think Jason was sitting there thinking, okay, well. Whatever you guys want to do, but I remember at the end of the night because the place was packed. I don't know how many thousands of dollars we raised, but I just remember going up to Jason at the end of the night, and he's sitting at the bar with his head in his hands. He goes, "That was the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen because it was a packed, you know, b a huge fundraiser, and c just the foulest, most obnoxious <laughs> rap between the two of us." I think Wayne's he he said a lot of things, but his coup de gras moment for me was. They call him bad motherfucker way back in the hood because he really fucked his mother and he wasn't any good. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I think that would come out of Wayne Bledsoe's oh, mouth. I know. It's, just, it's just amazing. I know. Well, and for me, I think <laughs> mine was, you know, his his clothes are musty, his rhymes are rusty, his Knoxville's answer to Jerry Sandusky. <laughs> So we uh we 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 went hard in the paint toward each other and it was so much fun. Yeah, you know, you guys both being prolific music writers, uh, I I have heard that there's a little bit of a fake beef between you guys. Oh yeah, it's not real, but uh... well, he posted a a a photo last night of his anniversary photo with him and Sarah. They were out. It was three years from their first date, and it was such a beautiful photo. And in all honesty, we love one another. I mean, he's like a brother to me. But uh, I, I commented and said, "Man, I hate it when your posts are so sweet. I can't leave a foul comment. I mean, it's just oh, yeah. you know, I yeah. just have to say I'm happy for you, dude. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's your go-to with the yeah, guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to make some joke about her getting that government stipend for seeing his ass, but you know, I can't do it. It was just such a sweet photo. Uh, your your name came up for the first time. I think Mike McGill was the one who hipped me to you, and then I realized that I've been reading your stuff for years and years and years um are you a Maryville uh, uh born and raised person actually, no i was born and raised in powell actually okay. uh class of 89 powell high school um graduated from powell went to tennessee tech uh got a degree in english journalism and then kind of bounced around and uh did some work for a little tri-weekly newspaper uh in middle tennessee the southern standard in mm. mcminnville oh nice you ever heard of it no, I haven't. Well, McMin- I've heard of McMinnville. Yeah, well, yeah. the McMinnville, as my old roommate and fellow journalist there used to call it, is the nexus of all that is freakish and evil. Really? Oh, my gosh. It was the craziest place to be a, a young reporter, especially covering news. I mean, one of the first stories that I ever covered was, and I don't remember his name, but he was a psychologist there in town. And he was having multiple affairs. And one of the ladies he was sleeping with was going to tell his wife, who did not know about the multiple affairs. So he influenced through his uh, mental health care provider status. He influenced a third lady to plant a pipe bomb under the car of the woman who was going to tell. It didn't go off, but yeah. And he, oh man! Yeah. So he had he had at least he he had at least two affairs going on. Oh, yeah. the Italy. pipe bomb lady, the <laughs> the, the snitch lady. Yes. Oh my gosh! Yes, yeah, so that was one of the first stories I ever covered, and it was just like, <laughs> what is this place jackpot? You know, it was just like crazy. So yeah, was that your first job out of school? Yeah, it was my first job. Uh, was was um, covering county government, cops and courts, you know, all kinds of all the little small town stuff. Um, you know, it was you know it was a lot of uh, it was a lot of your your average like oh look I grew this pumpkin that looked like Dolly Parton uh, story <laughs> and then there was you know the one of the first meth related murders in Tennessee uh, Chris Tatro back in 1994 we covered that one that was insane really so, oh yeah it was nuts so in McMinnville in McMinnville yeah so meth wasn't around until 1994 I well, would have thought that it-, <laughs> it was it was around but it was. You know, it's kind of under the radar. It was uh, not, it did not get the headlines that it got mm. today. I mean, but these guys, uh, these guys sort of dragged it into the headline. They uh, 
gathered they became convinced that two of their buddies were stealing from them so a little paranoia yeah going a little on. paranoia going on so they turned on two of their buddies and they would uh over the course of several days they would torture them they would do stuff like tie them to a chair and throw knives at them and then they would like you know patch them up and cook them a steak and they did this <sighs> weird stuff back and forth and finally they got them in a bathtub they made one guy choke the other to death with an extension cord then they turned that guy loose in the woods and they hunted him like a deer, shot him, rolled them both up in carpet, set it on fire and threw it over the side of Hurricane Bridge in Smithville. So, yeah, fun times. <laughs> what? I know. Insane, man. The That's nexus exactly... of all that is freakish and evil. It's like a Breaking Bad episode. I was going to say it sounds about like Breaking Bad and mm -hmm. it's just, a, you know, that's just McMinnville. Yeah, yeah, just just the Mac. Is that where it, uh, Tennessee Tech? So you went to school there. Yeah, Cookville. that's in Cookville. Yes, McMinnville, pretty close to there. It is. It's right? about so, uh, about an hour south. Oh, is it? But uh, yeah. it's on the plateau, right? Yeah, it's right there on the edge. Um, you know, about forty five minutes from Murfreesboro. That's where we used to go oh, okay. and hang. Uh, about an hour and a half from Nashville. About okay. an hour and a half from Chattanooga. Sort of. What yeah. was the hope there of get, of of become? Did, did you want to get into the, to you know, music reporting and that kind of thing? Or did you just want to be a journalist? I just wanted to be a journalist. And then uh, I went from there uh, to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And I was a news editor um, on the news desk there at the Sun News in Myrtle Beach. And uh, it was there that I started you know, doing some music writing. Oh. Uh, the the features staff, you know, were, I, I don't remember if they were a little short at the time or they just wanted me to pick up some stories. But... I think, I think the first big music story I did was I interviewed Alison Krauss. Oh, nice. And that was great. And then- When was uh, this? This was in 97. Still? Okay. 97. And then uh, I went shopping with the Dixie Chicks. Uh, shopping? <laughs> they were an up and coming young country group. Nobody had heard of them at the time. I think um, the, the record that broke was like uh, a couple of months from being released. And they were on a little radio tour uh, around the Southeast. And one of the stops was in Myrtle Beach. And they the radio station ran a fan contest where, you know, the winner is going to go on a shopping spree with the Dixie Chicks. Mm. And so I tagged along and covered that story. Uh, again, it, it was like nobody really knew who they were at the time so yeah. i'm hanging out shopping with natalie mains and marty and all those three while they help this young lady pick out dresses and stuff like that that's on a cool. shopping spree at the mall in myrtle beach that's cool they were like the first uh the they were the first people i remember ever getting canceled now that i know oh, what yeah. canceled means <laughs> yeah that uh they made some like, like disparaging mm. remarks about was it george W. Bush yeah, well, on they, stage. All they said was they were ashamed to be from the same state that he was from Texas, mm. and everybody lost their minds because yeah. yeah. I remember when that happened; it was a big deal because yeah. they were they were huge yep. at the moment, and then they just kind of turned off half of their, uh, you know, yeah, half people, of their fan base. People, <laughs> just kind of turned on. Yeah, them. the the old uh, red, white, and blue crowd did not appreciate that. Well, I I uh, I heard that their show at Bonnaroo this last year was a total sleeper oh, really? and one of the best well awesome. uh, no, like the oh, one good. of the best shows oh, like wow. like nobody thought it was going to be good and it was a and it was awesome like nice. it was the best show people saw all that's weekend. fantastic the chicks i believe they're called yes they're, they're just the chicks <laughs> just the chicks just the chicks yeah. uh, so uh myrtle beach south carolina is an interesting place i have been there a few times um i don't really think about uh, a, a big music scene, but I guess they do. They've got a house of blues there. They got a house of blues, right? So that's they big. There were quite a few uh, big acts that came through, and then it had a thriving little uh, local scene too. That was just, and I think it was there that I came to appreciate the fact that, man, you can pay you know fifty dollars and go see a fantastic show at the House of Blues by a major name, mm -hmm. and I saw plenty of those, and you're gonna have a good time. You can pay $5 or you can pay nothing and you can go to a little bar uh, in, in Myrtle Beach. It was Gypsies and Alley Cats was the two places I went to. You go to Alley Cats for free and see a group of local musicians that will blow your mind. Because, really? you know, they're not doing it for the payday. They're not doing it for the marquee status. They're doing it because they love it and they're up on stage and the entire bar is into it. And it's just, it you know, it gives you chills and it's just like, and that is what demonstrated to me that, you know, the local scene is always, always going to be the lifeblood of a community. Big shows are great, but 
Yeah, I think it was from that point on, I kind of made it my mission that, you know, to kind of preach that, that, you know, you can have a great time. And I love interviewing famous people. It's a lot of fun. You know, I've had some great conversations, funny stories, but I will always, always push people to go to the pilot light, mm. you know, go to Boyd's, go to Barley's, go to Prez Pub, go to Scruffy City, go to these places where you're going to see these bands you've never heard of. Take a chance on seeing some music that, you know, you're unfamiliar with because, It'll, it'll blow your mind. You will come away going, what the hell did I just see? Mm. That was amazing. Yeah, I, I've had some out-of-body experiences at Preservation Pub before. Mm-hmm. When we used to live downtown, me and Sarah lived in um, <clears throat> lived in the Daylight Building, and we would, um, you know, we'd go to walk our dog at 9.30 at night before bed, and then, you know, hear something coming from Prez Pub. It's like, that sounds pretty good. Let's take the dog back and put the dog at the house and come back. And next thing I know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. I've had an out-of-body experience seeing some of the craziest, uh, most enjoyable live music I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. A band that I may never hear from again, or they could be on the Billboard charts in a a few years. I mean, you look at some of the folks that have played, like Cage the Elephant, Yeah, you know, coming through. Man, I remember in, I think it was 04 or 05, um, I got a demo album. Uh, well, not a demo. It was a it was a um, an independent release uh, called Minionette by these three dudes from North Carolina called the Avid Brothers, mm-hmm. and they were coming across the mountain to play Prez Pub. Nobody had heard of it. It was the first time in Knoxville, um, and I interviewed those cats. And that night, they stomped a hole in the pub stage. And <laughs> Scott West loves to tell that story because he had to refinish the stage after that. But, I mean, those guys were just insane. And now look at them. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, they're selling out Thompson Bowling Arena when they come to town now. Yeah. That's, it, you, you never know. No. But do you kind of know? You know what I mean? Do, do, do you kind of get the, do you know who's going to hit and who's not? I don't think anybody can ever really know because I think everybody who does hit will agree, will agree with me that, you know, there's a lot of luck involved. There's a lot of, you know, who your connections are, you know, what the tastes of the public are at the time, you know, who, who you can be introduced to. I mean, so it's it, because I've seen there are some criminally underrated bands who I thought, man, these guys are going to be huge. And then they never are, but just because of circumstances, mm-hmm. you know. So I think it's almost impossible to tell. But, you know, I think you can always get a good vibe from a band when you see them or hear them and you go, if anybody's going to go anywhere, these cats are. And I think people mm. sense that by the Avits early on. Yeah. Man. Well, what I think is awesome about what you do and, uh, yeah, I, <clears throat> like I said, I've been you know reading your stuff for a while, but something that kept coming up is I would go to do, do my research on, on some artists that I, that I'd have in the studio and I'd, uh, for the podcast and I'd, and I'd be looking, uh, just looking for, you know, any articles that are written out there about them or any kind of other information I can find out. And there's always a Steve Wildsmith article about him, and so I end up reading your stuff all the time, and I'm, uh, uh, and and so it's it's interesting to, you know, you I, you did get to write uh, something about your your personal life in right. the, in the uh, two blank uh, mm-hmm. news newspapers ago, and so that's that, that's why I'm very excited. It, it's like. I don't know. There's almost a mystique to it when when you just see somebody's name printed for years and years at the bottom of, of an article. It's 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 really nice to uh, it's really nice to uh, to be able to get to to know them because you're almost like this Mount Rushmore kind of monolithic figure <laughs> oh, to no, me. No, 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 don't put me up there, brother. I'm, <laughs> you know, I I I've got to give all tribute, you know, seriously to 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 Wayne. Uh, you know, he. I mean, because I remember, you know, because, A, he's old as dirt, but I remember <laughs> reading his stuff when I was in high school as really? a music writer. I mean, back in the 80s uh, when he was, you know, kind of getting started, he was doing everything, man. I mean, that this cat still has uh, a, a greater depth of knowledge about all genres and all artists than, you know, just about anybody I know. But anything I think I know, you know, Wayne's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of them. Have you heard of this, 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 and this? And I'm like, shut, <laughs> shut up, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he he really set the bar around. I think this entire scene has been so blessed by some really really talented guys, and 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 by guys I mean men and women who have chronicled this scene. You know, I remember 
you know, Paige Travis, who works for the city of Knoxville now, um, used to be the uh, entertainment writer at the Daily Times. And then she was at Metro Pulse for a while and started an independent newspaper called uh, Spark. Mm. Um, so she was doing that. I know, you know, obviously Wayne, you know, Rusty started blank, you know, uh, gosh, the, the Metro Pulse crew forever, you know, Matthew yeah. Everett and, and uh, you know, Mike Gibson and, you know, just uh, so, so many, uh, so, so many people around here have, have really had an investment in this scene and in promoting this scene. And I think a lot of artists, uh, I don't know that they take it for granted just because they don't have a frame of reference, but man, there's, there are very few scenes like Knoxville that have had, uh, indefatigable promoters the way that Knoxville has. Yeah. I, I wonder about how we, how we match up to, you know, marketplaces that are the same size yeah. as us. Um, <clears throat> because part of me is, you know, I, I look at per capita, how, how many musicians and how many good musicians we have. And, you know, every, every few years, a Weezer or a, or a, a, a super drag will squeeze out of there mm-hmm. or, or Gran Torino, not Weezer, but Gran Torino super drag will, will, uh, come out but i always wonder like what does it take you see all these bands coming out of la's and new york and all that but you know it, it, it there's so much going on it's really hard for me to it's hard for me to uh, believe that we don't have more uh you know national acts come out of here well, you know i think again I, a lot of it is well i interviewed the super drag guys for blank uh, a couple of months ago and i i don't want to say it's prejudice but i do think a lot of ways you know acts in the south are dismissed because of cultural stereo regional stereotypes i remember tom pappas was telling me you know when uh sucked out hit big and Mm -hmm. they they got on you know mtv's buzzbin and you know he said i can't tell you the number of times we'd be interviewed by national you know music writers and music publications and they're like oh y'all are from tennessee and you wear shoes yeah you got your teeth yeah and you know so there is that some stereotype but on the other side of that too is you know there may not be uh, the national respect that some of these bands certainly deserve but man there's so many local musicians who go on to do big things i mean like yeah. larry mullins for example mm-hmm. um was yeah. playing around here are you familiar with larry i've heard of him yeah he he was playing around here back in the 80s and just decided um I want to be Iggy Pop's drummer. So he pretty much stalked the guy around the country, showing up at his shows until he got a chance. And he was a drummer. And now he is a touring drummer and percussionist for Nick Cave and the Bad Seats. Wow. Yeah. Um, he And he's an Oxford boy. Uh, Mick Murphy, perfect example. Uh, remember Hyper Tribe back in the 90s, mm. man. I mean, those cats were, you know, again, a band that should have hit big. And, um, you know, but Mick went on to do uh, the metal outfit, My Room. Uh, he was, uh, you know, he he was a friend of Taylor Hawkins. He was a member of Chevy wow. Metal. Uh, I remember when Foo Fighters played here in 2017 at Thompson Bowling. They brought up Mick, who just shredded a version of Eruption by Van Halen <laughs> on stage with Foo Fighters, and he was just a buddy of theirs. They knew this cat yeah. because I mean, he and he and Taylor had hooked up through the scene. Yeah, Andy Wood. Yeah, you, you Andy. See, yeah. God, <laughs> you see him like what was it? Joe Satriani or something mm-hmm. came to town, and Andy Wood's on stage. And Sam Bush comes to town. Andy Woods on stage. Oh, exactly. Like, I mean, what are we well, doing here? Will Carter, man. I mean, Will Carter, yeah. his his story. I mean, just being in uh, in Guitar Center and uh, you know, one of uh, I think it was Jackson Brown's manager or one of his band members happened to be there and he was like, "You need to meet this guy that I'm on the road with." And Will had no idea, and they brought him to Tennessee Theater and met, introduced him to Jackson Brown. And the really, two, yes, and the two started playing together backstage. And Jackson says, "You know what? You're going to open for me tonight." And so he puts Will, who was a kid at the time, on stage at the Tennessee. Theater theater wow and he and jackson brown have been buddies ever since will's good man oh god he's amazing i uh filmed a documentary for uh eric baker's Mm -hmm. last album last album i think that that he put out will's a hell of a producer man he is and he's good such a talented guy got a great voice does some excellent solo stuff and you know eric baker i mean is there a nicer guy in the in the East Tennessee music scene? <laughs> no. I don't know. Man. I saw him last week for the first time since he came and did the podcast before the pandemic, mm. and it's like I missed I missed that warmth. Oh, I know, man. He's <laughs> but every time I see him, he's like brother, and he gives you a hug, and he's just you just feel it is it's genuine, man. Yeah, and I think that's what makes his music connect with so many people. Is yeah, he the guy he is in song and on stage is the same guy he is off stage. Yeah, I worked with him a lot, and I I got to see him in some we we're filming the television. Show. Show, uh, Tennessee Uncharted together, and I, I got to I got to see him in some really tough 
situations where a lot of people, yeah. if they were divas, they would have shown it. Mm-hmm. He's imagine. not. He's not. <laughs> yeah. But it it it's it it is amazing when you think about the the you know the Clint Mullicans of the world too, mm-hmm. um, that you know go on tour with these national acts and come back and have wonderful bands of their own. Yep. And you just see them playing around town. At, you know, Crown and Goose is gone now, but you know, see him on that little stage on oh, a Wednesday night. It, well, it's like Mike Baguetta, man. I mean, you know, he moved away recently, but are you familiar with Mike? Mm-mm. Oh my gosh, you, the, the dude is currently on tour with Mike Watt of, you know, Firehose and yeah. Minutemen and, you know, is, you know, they've, they're MSSV, Main Steam Stop Valve is, is their band. And, you know, Mike was just hosting a, a, a regular, you know, I think it was once a month Monday showcase at Barley's and this guy is one of the most respected guitarists by... Yeah, I mean they they were one of the featured acts at uh, Big Ears this past year. Uh, him and Mike Watt, and I can't remember who their uh, drummer was at the time. But yeah, it's man, just... I, uh, I we were we were out in in Denver this last week, and uh, there was uh, Nine Inch Nails was playing at Red Rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't go to that show, um, but uh, there was uh, Eve Toomer was opening for Nine Inch Nails. Do you know? Do you know? That I'm familiar act? with him. Yeah. Yeah. He went to high school with me. They were with beer in high school together. He's playing Red Rocks last week, and it's it's like it just kind of people sneak through and exactly. get <laughs> like I said, you know, you know, Larry Mullins, uh, you know, Mick Murphy, all these folks that have uh, you know have Knoxville roots and have gone on, and you're just like, holy shit, this I know. is amazing. Yeah. Uh, so so what's after you leave uh, Myrtle Beach and you've got the and you've got the bug for doing uh, for doing. You know, reporting on music, and you've kind of dug into the scene there. Mm-hmm. What's what? What kind of uh, what's what's your life starts to shape up like after that? Well, I, you know, I'm, this is uh, this is no secret because I've written about it uh, prolifically. But um, I've, I'm in long term recovery from addiction, and I went from Myrtle Beach when I moved to Myrtle Beach in '97. Uh, that's when things started to unravel in my yeah. life. You know, I was. Man, I was pretty much what you would consider a functioning alcoholic and a functioning mm. addict for, gosh, ever since I started, man, I didn't have an off switch. And so, you know, I graduated college, you know, with honors even, but man, I don't remember much of it. Really? Yeah, I was just, and because I had that ability to function and because of, you know, just, you know, the way I would push myself, I always thought that if I had my shit together, on the job than nothing else really. I couldn't mm. be, I couldn't be an addict. Attic was that dude who lived by under the bridge, man. Right. You know, that, that's a, that's yeah. a junkie. Man, I ain't no junkie. I got a job. Yeah. And it's just a ridiculous misconception. And all it did was keep me sick for a long time. Because, really? Yeah. Because here's the thing, man, I, I don't care if you do got a job, you know, it's, it's about, is your life unmanageable? And yeah, my life was completely unmanageable. I was in and out of toxic relationships because I was unhealthy emotionally and mentally. And here's the thing, when you're sick in that way, you're going to attract people on the same level yeah. of emotional health that you right. are. So a lot of toxic relationships, a lot of, uh, you know, life is in financial disarray. I moved from McMinnville to Myrtle Beach, back to McMinnville, back to Myrtle Beach, um, you know, because I thought that that whole geographical cure was going to, you know, right. well, I, if I just move someplace new, you know, right. everything be all right. But you still track down the old, the well, old ways. Oh, well, you know, wherever you go, there you are. You know, I pack up everything that I am and take it with me because the problem's not external, it's internal. Yep. So, you know, when I landed in uh, Myrtle Beach the second time, um, you know, holding it together. That was a full-time music writer for the Sun News at the time. Um, but, man, the center couldn't hold it, and things unraveled quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, got involved in IV drug use. Um, and I remember one day, man, I just got up, and I just I was going through withdrawal. Uh, you know, I was dope sick and needed to score so badly. And I just got him walked out, and I never looked back. And I guess it was about a week later, I was looking around, at where I was living in a buddy's apartment and he was using two and the power was turned off and there's an eviction notice hanging on the door and I'm digging around in my arm trying to find a vein uh, having scraped just a few empty bags of dope to get what they call a rinse just enough residue to keep the dope sick off and I'm looking around at the fact that I'm sleeping on a pile of rags and calling it a bed I have absolutely nothing to my name 
And the night before, I had taken my stereo as a music writer, it was my my prized possession, my my you know my thing, my stereo man. I took it down and traded it to a dude for thirty bucks worth of dope. Mm. And um, I just remember thinking, what are you what are you doing, man? You so want- you had the a, a moment where you kind of got out of your body and yeah. said, and yeah. said well, this is ridiculous absolutely That's really it. well the first time uh i went to i went to, i've been to rehab three times first time i went um basically because my job forced me into it they figured out something was going on hey it's myrtle beach in july and steve you're wearing long sleeves man what the fuck is going yeah. on well yeah. so i went the first time and i just wanted to quit putting a needle in my arm i could yeah. not fathom the idea of giving up uh, of total abstinence, mm. for, which is the only way for me. And I'm not saying that's the way for everybody, right. but for me, man, there's no going back. You know, right. I can't, there's no just one of anything. Mm. Um, I don't, cause again, I don't have an off switch. So for me, abstinence was the only way. Um, again, not saying that's the only way for everybody, but for me that it, it was. And so I, at that time, the first time I went to rehab in the fall of 2000, I just wanted to quit putting a needle in my arm, man. Mm. I didn't, you know, I couldn't find it. The idea of giving up, what I had come to view as a chemical suit of armor, it scared the hell out of me. I just couldn't imagine functioning, going through life without changing the way that I felt using drugs or alcohol. So, mm. you know, I just thought, I'll just go back to college, my college days when I was just drinking or just doing this. Well, right. one of the things about uh, <laughs> addiction, especially when you get into uh, the harder substances and the more extreme methods of delivery is that, it's just, there's no going back, you know? I, I, I remember I went out, and the day I got home from rehab, my buddies picked me up. We went out to the bar. I'm going to go drinking. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, because at the time, you got to understand, this was in 2000, so it was, you know, 22 years ago. There was not the understanding of addiction that we have today. I think it's a lot more better understood as an illness of uh, of the brain, of the body. So my buddies just thought, you know, well, Steve's been to rehab. He's not going to put a needle in his arm again. He's good. He can do these other things. So they took me out, and I was certainly, I was not an unwilling participant. Right. And, uh, you know, I, we went out, and I got hammered, and I remember that moment sitting in the bar thinking, you know, feeling that buzz, thinking, you know, this is all right, but it ain't what we want. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, man. And that's that's the way it is. Every time, because I tried, man, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to, I'm just going to smoke weed. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to drink. I'm, and, and it never works because that thing in my head, that switch that is always on, will say, you know what? This isn't really what we want. Yeah. And so it's off to the races, man. And so. That's but, interesting to think that there's a lot of different because I've heard, you know, the abstinence approach, that is the one that makes the most sense to me. It's like, yeah. just stay away from all of it. If you, if you, if you start drinking, then you're now your now your uh, uh, your decision making is mm-hmm. is a little addled too. So you might you know slip back into you know doing the hard drugs that you, that you did before. But I have seen people who can do who can do that Absolutely. who can stop using heroin and can drink a beer. Exactly, their moderation is you know is, is something that you know some people can do. And you know, again. I'm all for whatever works for you, exactly. man. Whatever your problem is, find a solution. Right. Whether it's moderation, whether it's abstinence, whether it's twelve step recovery, whether it's you know church, what, whatever. I don't care, man. Just find your path. Yeah. Because the path you're on right now is going to lead to some 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 pain and some misery, and yeah. it always does. And you know, so God bless those folks who can do it with moderation. Have one for me, man. Because sure. I, you know, I, I, for me, you're not going to do it. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, Oh, what was I going to ask? I had a good one. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll come back to it. Um, I, I, I've always I've always thought it was um, very noble for people that that come through recovery to start helping other people too. Oh, yeah. Have you done that? Oh, absolutely. Sponsored it's, people and all uh, that. Yeah. Well, it's you know again, um, my path is twelve step recovery. Again, uh, you know, there's a lot of debate on how effective that is. Here's the thing: any recovery program whether it's celebrate recovery which is a christ-centric church-oriented mm. style of recovery or whether it's 12-step recovery or whether it's smart recovery which is uh much more of a rational scientific approach any of those paths will work it's just a matter of finding the one that works best for you really so, yeah so so there so there's different i i haven't done it so i, yeah. I kind of assume they were all uh abstinence 
based. A lot of them are. A lot of them are abstinence based, but there are, you know, there are some, uh, you know, medication assisted treatment mm. is considered the gold standard these yeah. days. Is that yeah. like, uh, what's that stuff called? Suboxone. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, there's another one. That Methadone, gets... Suboxone, there's Naloxone. Yeah. Uh, or Naltrexone. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we, that's like, yeah, that's, that's still maintaining a, a dependence though, right? Is well, it a chemical it, dependence? It, it depends. The, um, uh, and I don't want to derail this conversation entirely, but yeah, um, buprenorphine and uh, methadone, suboxone and methadone are uh, opioid replacement medications. Mm. But I mean, the idea is that you're not going to just be handed a script and a prescription and say, hey, good luck to you. The idea yeah. is that you are given enough just to calm down the hive of bees in your mm. head yeah. and so that you can function normally you're not doing all the shady things that addiction leads those of us who are caught up in it to do and that you can function as a you know responsible productive member of society and hopefully down the road you you know the, your dosage will be tapered and you will be weaned off of it mm. now i think the problem is with a lot of uh suboxone clinics these days there is too much of a dependence on long-term maintenance and mm. some people may need long-term maintenance but right. you know i still have problems wrapping my head around the fact that you know i know people personally who have been on suboxone for a decade yeah you know and that's I, not the intended purpose no, right no no yeah. i mean i think the entire goal should be you know to eventually be free of you know these chemicals mm. and so you know no no disrespect to anybody who's on uh medication assisted treatment but you know that that length of time, ten years, I don't know, man. It's I, I still have I, I still wrestle with that one. I remember what my what my question was. Now, um, you'll hear a lot about about folks who who uh, who are in you know recovery that will that will leave their addiction, but they replace it with something else. Oh, yeah. Whether whether it's exercise or sex or whatever yeah. whatever it is, is that is that pretty common or? I, I think so. And did you have one that you just like poured your poured your all your attention into now that you had all this spare time? Work. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned uh you know reading all these articles. I mean, it's just and it's just something that you know, I have all this energy and I've got to put it somewhere. So, it's all a matter of where you can put it, man. Yeah. And it's all a matter too of, you know, recognizing where the line is and mm. because even you know something that seems positive like work or you know exercise or something like that if you do it to the extent that your life is unmanageable that you're ignoring your responsibilities that right. you're neglecting your family that you know other parts of your life are suffering because of it then it's unhealthy i don't care how healthy it sure. might seem yeah that's a good point. You can get addicted to anything. Yeah. You can get you can get addicted to writing. Yeah. You can write too much. Ignore your family. Exactly. <laughs> it's all about, you know, yeah. all perspective, man. Yeah. Well, uh the uh the Knoxville years for you, when did when did you come back from Myrtle Beach and when did your Knoxville years start in earnest? I came back here in two thousand and one. Um basically I had not lost everything in Myrtle Beach. I I went to rehab a second time in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, got out. I had nothing to go back to. Um, homeless, basically. Came really? back here. Yeah, moved in with my folks who lived in North Knoxville in Powell. Um, 30 years old. Uh, you know, I'd lost my job. I'd been fired from the newspaper because they gave me a chance once to send yeah, me to rehab. Yeah, they sent the you to rehab. Time. You went out drinking with your yeah, buddies afterwards. Yeah, went back to the needle. <laughs> yeah. So the second time, they're like, you know, we got it's a no for me, dog. You got to yeah. go. Yeah. Um, so I came back here, started looking around for newspapers. Had There was an opening up at um, the, the Daily Times times in Maryville. And so I started working there in April of 2016 uh, on the copy desk, meaning I was a copy editor and page designer. And then within a month, uh, the lady who was doing the entertainment section left. And, you know, I was like, well, I'm made for this, man. This is yeah. what I was doing. So I got that job. But at the same time, that first year I was here, I was still struggling to find my, my bearing, so to speak. And I was mm. not, again, that whole idea of abstinence, which is what I needed, uh, scared the shit out of me. And so I started dabbling again. And that first year was and pretty as rough. recently as 2016? No, no, no. This was oh, back okay. in uh, 20, uh, 2001, 2002. I came back here in 2001. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Gotcha. So I was, I still dabbled for that first year. And eventually it led right back where it always does. Really? And I thought I was going to, you know, completely flush this job away. But, you know. All well, so this was, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm 
just to be clear, this is the Daily Times at yep. this point, too? Yep, the Daily Times. So that was in 2001? Yep, that's when I came wow. back from Little Beach. Okay. I started working gotcha. at the Daily Times in 01. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And I thought, I thought I'd thought i ruined another great job, man. But fortunately for me, uh, Buzz Trexler was the editor at the time, and he's also in recovery, and I'm not breaking his anonymity or anything. He's very public about it. He yeah. got clean and sober through uh, religion, and it was a part-time Methodist pastor at the time. He was also the editor of the paper, and so he understood exactly where I was. Sure. And he took me outside, and he's like, take your time, get your shit together, and come back here. Your job will be waiting if you can get your shit together. So wow. I went to Peninsula Hospital. I checked in on March the 20th, 2002, and that was the last time I gotten high awesome had any drugs or alcohol so it's been over awesome 20 years. Yeah. so yeah you just yeah. took a cake is that is that what the- <laughs> yeah i got a chip took a cake all that back in march yeah man uh and and i just people ask me all the time well, what 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 led you to do it it's like, i don't know man it's just you reach a point where for me i was so exhausted from going to bed every night praying to god to kill me in my sleep and then waking up mm. and the first thing i would do would curse him because i was still alive oh yeah you know you just get to that point of absolute misery and you're not quite it talks about it in the recovery literature you know you reach a point where you're too tired to keep living but you're too scared to die so what are you gonna do well it's either you know to borrow that cliched quote from shawshank man you know get busy living or get busy dying yeah so I got busy living and I moved into a halfway house where I lived for two years and I did things that, uh, you know, were very humbling, but were necessary, you know, for the first year of my recovery, I turned over my paycheck to my father, man. And he doled out money to me like an allowance. And at the time, you know, it's, it it, it stung my pride a little bit, but man, I needed that because I I didn't trust myself with large amounts of money. You know, I didn't, and more than anything, though, I got really involved in recovery and um, started going to meetings and getting honest. That's the biggest thing is, you know, because I was going to meetings before, but, man, I was scared to death. I wasn't going to, you know, because I was always afraid of what people were going to think of me, you yeah. know. And, you know, I was always afraid of being judged. And if I got honest about who I really was and how I really felt, which is basically scared little boy, everybody's going to be like, you, man, you, you loser, get out of here. And, of course, that never happens. In I've never seen anybody get told in recovery to get out, okay, yeah. ever. <laughs> it's nothing but love. But for me and my ego, I was going to be the guy. I was going to be the one that going to be like, oh, loser, get out. So That's, a, I, that's a terrible story, loser. Uh, know, get out exactly, of here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So when I finally overcame that fear and opened up and began to, 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 and it's basically like therapy, you know, that's, that's, it's talk therapy with people who have been in the same situation you are, who get it. Yeah. Because, you know, I could go to, you know, the family dinner and say, mom and dad, I had a really rough day. And there was this old lady in front of me at the ATM getting a bunch of money out. Man, I just want to club her in the back of the head and take that shit. And mom and dad going to be like, Ooh. Okay, nine one one. Yeah, but I say that in a meeting with other recovering addicts and alcoholics, they're going to be like, "Yeah, been there. I know yeah. it. I feel it." So yeah. I mean, it's a cathartic thing sure. man, to be understood in a way you never felt like you had been before. Yeah, not judged, right? Exactly. Yeah, those people aren't going. Nobody in that room is going to judge you because no, they they know exactly. They know there's fingers pointing back. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what was your family like throughout all of this? Did you, did you maintain a relationship with them, or did did you did you? Oh, I hurt them tremendously. Uh, yeah, um, I was. Gonna... Yeah, I mean, I stole from them. Yeah. I mean, I took my mother's jewelry, her heirloom jewelry, to the pawn shop. Man, and sold that shit for dope. Um, and when my uh, my father took me up to Peninsula in March of on March twentieth, two thousand and two, he basically said, "We love you, but you ain't welcome in our home anymore. You wow. got you got to go." You know, so. I hope I hope this works. Good luck to you. And so he left it basically up to me. It was tough love, man. I know it was the hardest decision they ever had to make. I'm sure. And you know, but I I found it in me somehow to call a halfway house to get a bed to get there to you know just to do the thing. And uh, you know, over time I began to build back a relationship with my family. Like I said, I turned my paycheck over to my father. Um, I. And the biggest amends anybody can make in that situation is just time, man. You know, I, I'll never forget my, my sponsor, who's basically like a recovery mentor, uh, somebody who's got a little time and some experience. Uh, I, I went to family dinner. Mom invited me back over. had like six months, and you know, I was invited over to the house every once in a while. And I walk in. And mom had just gotten home from uh, the grocery store or something. And I give her a hug. And we both of our eyes at the same time go to the counter where her purse is. And mom just picked up 
her purse and took it in the back bedroom and I heard her close the door and lock it. Well, man, I was butt hurt and I called my sponsor after I left. I said, man, I got six months clean and my mama's still locking up her purse. And my sponsor, Mike, God love him, said, let's see, Steve, how long was you getting high for? I said, about, about 15 years. He said, okay, if your mama is still locking her shit up after 15 years, then call me and I'll let you whine for about 30 seconds. But until then, you let her be where she's at. Yeah. And so I, it's just one of those processes, man, where everybody recovers differently, and that includes the family members of, of addicts and alcoholics who've been very hurt. Yes. You, you wrote an incredibly sweet tribute to your mother. Um, yeah. in, in the, uh, in blank newspaper, Wait, it, it, I read it. I, it's a very touching story. Thank you. Um, were, were you guys able to, were you able to rebuild that relationship with both your parents? Absolutely. Um, was it full strength? It was full strength, but it was better. That's it, awesome. It was man. even better, man, because, you know, I was, I was present in a way I never had been before, you know, before I was always kind of just always looking for something else. Um, you know, I did, I was unsure of my, I didn't know who I was, man. So when you find out who you are and you become more certain of your place in the world, then you become more certain of what you mean to other people. So, um, I, you know, the proudest my father ever was of me was, you know, when I picked up my one year chip and he was in at the meeting and he was at every meeting, every anniversary that I picked up a chip, you know, I, it'd be like year 11. I'd be like, dad, it's just 11 years. He goes, I don't give a shit. I'm going to be there. And he was there at every single one until he died in 2017. And my mother was there at every single one, um, as much as she could be. I think there was a couple times she, her health, she had to miss it, but she was at every single one as well. And that is one of the really good memories is she was there back in March when I picked up 20 years. So, so cool, man. Yeah, that's great. I, you know, and, and it might sound silly to people to think that that's, you know, a, a, to think that that's a, a proudest moment for, for, uh, for a father and a son, but that means that's, that's so powerful they thought to they know, were... to know where, where your relationship has been, what? where your life has been. I mean, hell, that's all parents want for their kids is for them to be happy and, and they, safe and you know, loved. They thought they were going to lose me, man. Yeah. They thought I was going to die. They thought they were going to be burying me. Sure. And so, yeah. And so that was one of those things, you know, people who uh, are don't fully understand the recovery process. You know, I, I had a lot of people, you know, old family friends that, you know, knew I had a problem at one time, didn't understand, you know, the recovery process. But when my father died, you know, they were like, are you okay? And I know what they're really asking is, are we going to find you behind the casket with a needle in your arm? Yeah. And, you know, my answer to them is, no, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Because you know what? The proudest my father ever was of me was when I picked up that, that those, those anniversary medallions. I could not disrespect him more by flipping over his casket in the middle of the funeral if I did by going out and getting high because he died. He would yeah. just be absolutely mortified. Yeah. And two, it's not my default setting anymore. That's yeah. the message of recovery. There man. it is. It's not your default yeah. setting. You become an individual who understands that, you know, you're going you, to, life sucks sometimes, man. You're going to feel pain. You're going to experience pain. But it's not permanent. It's not lasting. It does fade. It cha everything changes. You feeling fantastic? You better hang on because that shit's gonna change. You feel like you're, you know, absolutely on the bottom. That life sucks. Hang on because it's gonna get better. It always changes. Always. Sorry, man. I feel like I'm preaching. I get fired up. I love it. it, man. I love it. I'm so, I'm so I'm so interested because you see such positive impacts come from recovery. Yeah. And I think it's I I think it's. You know, as terrible as you know, drugs can be, especially, you know, the opioids happening now, recovery is that good. Oh, it is. It, you see that you see the opposite of that despair happen when people get when people get clean and get their life together. And there's there's for me, I, I think it's I don't know, it's 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 a hero's journey. It's like an archetypal story that you just you, you fucking root for people, man. You, do. you know, well, I, I read the other day that. um uh, it was, it was a, a line in a book. It was like, um, when you really want something, the entire universe conspires to help you. <laughs> well, and excuse me for me, I think, um, what I have seen is just an army on, uh, an, uh, an, uh, a bunch of unsung heroes who operate in the shadows that most people out there have no idea even exist who, Go to war to help another addict or an alcoholic. I'm gonna, um, you know, I'm not gonna 
say her name, but I know yesterday uh, I had a friend of mine. We had a, a buddy of ours who's in recovery. He had relapsed. He's holed up in Alcoa Highway uh, Motel going through alcohol withdrawal, which is excruciating. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, just and she moved heaven and earth to get him a detox bed at a place in Hohenwald, Tennessee, you know, a treatment facility called Buffalo Valley. He had no way to get there. So what does she do? She, you know, calls several of us and we pull our money and we get him a, a, an Uber ride from Knoxville to Hohenwald mm. to get his ass into that one detox bed. So, I mean, it's just, and that is a daily occurrence, man. And my friend Jessica, who works for Metro Drug Coalition, I will mention her name because she's out and she's proud. You know, she's known as the Narcan lady. I mean, she makes it her mission to distribute, you know, kits of Narcan to help reverse overdoses. I mean, it's just there's so many people in recovery who were just like me and, you know, consider ourselves gutter trash. You yeah. know, those junkies that most people are like, we just write off, just let them go. You know, we're those we are those people because you get on social media and you see comments and you're just like man that's some heartless shit because it is you know i saw a comment the other day about on a narcan story and somebody's like that's just a problem taking care of itself they don't need that narcan and you know it's just so cold but for every individual out there who feels like there there there's no hope there there is the possibility of becoming someone like a jessica or like a sabrina or like like a me who you know is is you know just giving back i think our collective theme songs jason isbel's what have i done to help you know <laughs> <laughs> so your story I, I have i haven't heard it from your mouth but i've gotten i've picked up pieces of it yeah. and i love hearing it man it's so it's Thank um, you, brother. i i know it gives other people other people hope too i'm always amazed at how strong people who think they're helpless really are and and what you can do um and to become, you know, you, like I said earlier, you're part of the you're part of the Mount Rushmore in my mind of this scene that we've got going on. And I think that, um, you know, to have somebody who's to have somebody who has uh, who's been through it, but can then become so uh, so involved in helping other people not just through the recovery programs but help. you're doing the same thing for artists and entertainers i feel like musicians specifically i and that i love that man it's just like it's i said selfless it's one of those things that goes back to what i said at the beginning you know give me a, a local musician who busts his or her ass all week working a nine to five job and then on friday nights gets off work gets their ass down to the pile of light in in the old city or, or brackens or two doors over in maryville or wherever and they set up and they play to a handful of people and then they break down and they get home at three in the morning and they get a few hours sleep and they do it all over again on saturday night and then they go back to work on monday they're not doing it for the payday right they're not doing it for the the you know because their name is in lights they're doing it because they love it man and no matter how exhausted they are when they get up on that stage and they plug that guitar in and that drum hits the downbeat they, they i mean they transform into rock stars <laughs> you know they do man and it's just i don't you know i i'm getting chills just thinking about you know watching russ harper prowl the stage like you know knoxville's answer to iggy pop <laughs> you know watching you know the royal bangs lose their minds watching chris rusk uh, as ex gold sit in bill foster's lap and you know just put just so many amazing moments around here that i've seen so many bands he's like I, I, you know, it is an otherworldly experience. I'll never forget, you know, seeing Temp Job, seeing King Super, seeing so many bands that you're just like, what is this? It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. You know, and it's just, I, I get fired up about it, man. Does anybody consult you when they're putting a lineup together? Or uh, like I'm thinking about, you know, Rusty, of course, but you know, I'm sure you have somewhat of a relationship with a lot of the promoters around here. And uh, does anybody ever check your pulse to see if, the, if you've heard of anybody coming up that they need to book? Every once in a while they'll say, what do you, how do you think these guys will do? And I'll give them my honest opinion. My, my and, but I always preface it by saying, look, man, I'm biased because I love these guys and I, <laughs> you know, I will be here and I want you to book them because I will be here, but how will it play with everybody? I'm not so sure. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, I, I always try to preface it with that. And I have had some experience like, you know, Tim and Susan Lee and myself and, uh, you know, Will Wright and Jason Knight and McHarrison all put together the first Wayne stock after mm. Wayne Bledsoe's son Andrew died. And so that kind of became 
our pride and joy. And we did 10 of those. And it was just absolutely amazing, man, to, to be able to do that and to, you know, put together lineups that were just so much fun and to give bands an opportunity that, like, I think The Theorist, I don't know, you remember those cats? Mm-mm. Oh, my God. Jay Bush and Black Atticus and mm. Mike Miller. It was uh, sort of uh, Knoxville's answer to the roots, man. And those guys got up on stage and were sh- they blew everybody away. King Super, I'll never forget, man. Those guys all up on stage, you know, Sam Quinn and Dave Kane and, you know, Scuba Steve. And they're up st- and they're covering Golden Earrings Twilight Zone. And everybody <laughs> in Relics is losing their minds because it is just amazing. Yeah. Just little moments like that, man. It's just like, man, hey, I get to be a part of this. Yeah. Is your, is your music style, like you've named a lot of bands I've never heard of before. Um, but like you're wearing a run the jewel shirt right oh, yeah. now. So like what's your what's your style? What do you gravitate towards with music that you listen to? Man, you like the weird stuff? I, I like <laughs> some of the weird stuff. I like some of the mainstream stuff. I like uh yeah, yeah. It's funny because I, I work over at Miracle College now full time. And uh awesome. my partner, uh Brennan is uh, he's a multimedia specialist, he's twenty four, and he'll walk in sometimes and he'll be like, What the fuck is this? Like the other day he walked in, I was listening to uh Linda Ronstadt's greatest mm, hits. Yeah. Because I love Linda Ronstadt. My folks, sure. you know, had that that uh, album when I was growing up and I was digging on some Linda Ronstadt. And then the next I'm listening to Idols, which is, uh, you know, this post-hardcore British band that is just absolutely phenomenal that Matthew Smolin turned me on to that, you know, I've been wearing their most recent album out. It is probably the greatest thing I've heard in two years. I, <laughs> I, I just can't say. And it is visceral and in your face and pounding and just like makes you want to break shit. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, to go to that, to run the jewels to, you know, Kendrick Lamar to, you know, a lot of local stuff. It's just, it's kind of all over the board, man. I'm just like, whatever grabs me, you know, if, if it grabs me, I, I'll I'll listen to one song over and over and over and over. And I'm the wife, same way. And my wife is like, "Oh my God, can you please stop listening? Can you listen to something else?" I'm like, "No, not until it's out of my head, and that might be like next week." So, sorry. Have you heard the uh, Have you heard an evening with Silk Sonic? No, I've not. You have it? No. It's uh, Anderson Pack and Bruno Mars. <sighs> They're like. It's like dress up funk, oh. like seventies. Bootsy Collins <laughs> is on the first track. You Dude, gotta, I gotta check gotta, it out. Okay. You gotta check it out. Uh, 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 we listen to it around here. My wife won't let me listen to it anymore because it's too smooth. <laughs> she says it's just too smooth. That's, That's great. Yeah. Well, what what what's coming up for you? You got uh, you got some some articles coming out or any anything exciting, new, fun? I just did a couple. Um, I've cut back a lot on my. I'm no longer right for the Daily Times anymore because I got promoted over at Maryville college um my main outlet these days is blank um i just uh had an interview with the drive-by truckers um that uh ran or will run i'm not sure if he's printed yet so you can't tell with the rusty but yeah um <laughs> that it will go with some bill foster photos when they played at the shed last month uh, oh cool I, I had an interview with john darnell of uh, the mountain goats who are playing uh the bijou coming up next week i think so that and their new record is fantastic. So how does that go? So w- when a band comes to town, you go and sit down and interview them. For... It's all. It's usually always on the phone because they're on the road, like they're okay. in some different city, um, and we want to advance the show. So usually, you know, the publicist will reach out and say, "Hey, man, John's available for interviews," or you know, Patterson's available for interviews, or if it's somebody really cool, I'll go to the publicist and say, "Hey, I'd really love to interview so and so." Um, so that's pretty much how it works. And we'll just set up a time and jump on the phone and chat. Um, it's incredibly rare to do it in person simply because of schedules. I yeah. mean, uh, and they need, when they're here, they already need to have that interview run. They, have, they need to have it run. And, and two men, when they get into town, usually they're, they've been pulling an all nighter. The last thing yeah. they want to do is sit down and do you know, yeah. an interview with the press, man. I would much rather just let them enjoy their downtime and give them a list of local restaurants to go try while they're here. Yeah. Yeah, that, I've I've always wondered about that, and we're doing. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna set up a uh, a little mobile podcast studio at Second Bell. Oh hell yeah! And um, we'll see how it goes. I mean, like you said, people you know may not may not want to may not want to submit to something like that. They may be, just be ready to chill backstage and, and hang out and you know before the show. But who knows? Yeah, it, it, we'll and, see. Man, you never can tell. What what is so great is there are uh, there's so many. Uh, so many amazing stories, just non sequiturs that don't really have any bearing on an article that I'm writing, but you know, are just so much fun and fascinating. Like the time that Steve Earle 
almost got into a fight with Peyton Manning at, at Sam and Andy's down what? on the strip. He was in town with the V. He was he was working with the V. Roy's. They were signed to his label, uh, and I think I, I don't remember if it was all about town or just Add Ice, one of their records. You know, you know the V. Roy's, Scott and Mick and Jeff Bills and, yeah. and, and Pax the Sellers. Those those are Knoxville cats. Well, they're in line to get a sandwich and Steve Earl was the one who told me this and uh in walks Peyton Manning with his entourage who was a UT quarterback at the time and a football god yep. and of course the Vero is like yeah man go ahead well Steve had no idea who he was and he yeah. cut in front of him Steve Earl time was too far removed from prison he was like I've been waiting on my motherfucking sandwich for a minute you need to step back yo and and, and the V-Roy's like that's Peyton Manning and Steve's like who the hell's Peyton Manning yeah. <laughs> so, so Steve Earl and Peyton Manning I don't know how much uh, how close they came to fighting but that was Steve's story that was Steve's Knoxville story he remembers you know just asking who the hell is Peyton Manning and the V-Roy's their eyes are this big one Man, just let him go first. <laughs> so just fun stuff like that, man, is just, you know, I love stories like that because it's just one of those things that, you know, I, I, there was no, you know, I could work that into a story, but, you know, when you're limited by inch count, it's 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 hard to, to include what's considered fluff like that. It, it, it's the best headline I've ever oh, I read. I know, I know. Steve <laughs> Earl versus Peyton Manning. At Sam and Andy's. <laughs> Sam and Andy's. <laughs> Oh, I love it, Steve. Well, man, I'm uh, I'm super glad that we got to do this. Man, I'm honored. It is a, a blast, Ben. Uh, I'm glad hope... to know you. Well, yeah, it, it's good <laughs> to be here, and I'm glad to know you too, man. I hope uh, I hope I've given you some usable material. Maybe maybe we can do it again. I would love to do it again Let's sometime. It, maybe man. we should catch up in a little bit after. Uh, yeah, give it some time, breathe, yep. see, let some stuff change, let it marinate, you let it marinate, and then come back. That sounds like a plan, brother. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right. How'd we do? Appreciate y'all being here. Thanks for sticking with us while we took a break. We'll talk to you guys real soon. We'll be back, okay? Pitchwire. Play me out.